You're listening to a podcast from Newstalk ZB. Follow this and our wide range of podcasts now on iHeartRadio. Oh, g'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Wednesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast on News Talk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn Hart, and this morning, uh, what's going on in Islam? Uh, with the polling, anyway. In fact, what's going on with polling generally? What's going on with One News? Why do they? Why are they so obsessed with the climate? Is it because they're being paid? Uh, tourism. We're going to get a little update on whether that is back and pumping. And uh, where do our airports rank? Or are they just rank? Before any of that, National Tax Policy Day, I mean, can you handle the excitement? Now, as far as hypertension and expectation is concerned, the National Party could not be in a better position than they are today ahead of this tax policy announcement, or given the noise, is it a reveal? Uh, the government have been goading them for months over its details, and more importantly, its costings. They've had a sort of crack a while back, you might remember, on the top tax rate, and then had to pull the pin when the economy tanked and we went into recession. That actually is one of the major problems for an opposition when it comes to expenditure, and one of the great advantages, of course, of being a government. The government know what the numbers are, the other guys don't, and as opposition of the previous government have been hopeless like this lot are, you can be handed a can of worms, or indeed a grenade, depending on how bad it all is. Upside is this. Whatever the bill for tax relief, money is not the issue. Given over the past six years, the increase in expenditure has been so lavish and so spectacular, the room for savings is gargantuan. If you're looking for waste to hoover up and redirect, no one has provided more waste than the Labour government of 2017 through 2023. Also, to the Nats' advantage today is the detail hasn't leaked. By the time Chris Hipkins got around to telling us about GST and cabbage, one, we already knew, and two, the experts had lined up to a man and a woman to be able to point out what a waste of time and money it actually was. So that is the pressure on the Nats today. Is what they have credible? Is it material in the sense it's actually worth something to the so-called squeeze middle? And where exactly does the money come from? If they can tick those three boxes, they are well on their way to cementing an election that the polls show they're already halfway to winning anyway. In many respects, this is ideological. Do you want the government, i.e. Labour, telling you where your money's going, gangs, welfare, or do you want to keep some of your own money and decide that for yourself? Simple question. Who do you trust more with your money? You or Grant Robertson? That is part of today's equation. But as far as policy announcements go, in an election campaign where there is a blizzard of the things, tax is always right up there, if not the trump card. So let's see... How good they are. Yeah, so uh, Mike has um, described, uh, you know, tax as being like the issue of the election. Are you as excited about tax as I am? I.e. not that excited? Anyway, I suppose it matters to some people. The rewrap. Not sure if it's a big issue in Ireland, um, but whatever the issues are, we're getting some janky poll results. Once again, we have an interesting insight into polling yesterday. Uh, we told you about the results of the top party and their numbers in Ireland. Now, Ireland's a blue seat in Christchurch. It was held for years by Jerry Brownlee until the COVID upheaval three years ago when Sarah Pallas, who never thought in a million years she would win it, 
won it. Uh, Rafe Manji, who is Top's leader, did what Gareth Morgan should have done previously and stand in the local seat with the outside chance of winning it and thus avoiding the 5% threshold of MMP, which they were never going to get anyway. Reality is, despite that, they're not going to get there this time either. And if I was giving advice, I would genuinely look at how they present themselves. I mean, I watched an interview with him a week or so back, right, and was bewildered by what he was saying as regards teal visas. And at the end of the interview, I could not work out for the life of me who they were, what they stood for, and who they would align with by way of a major party. Anyway, yesterday, Rafe Manji, according to his own party's polling, which, to be fair, polled a seriously large number of punters, uh, as opposed to this morning's taxpayer union courier poll, was behind the national candidate Hamish Campbell, but not by much. It was a race. It was close. It was tight. Fortunately for me, I did say yesterday, if you were listening, I didn't think Top would take the seat. And the Courier poll confirms it. Or does it? And that's the problem we are starting to see already this campaign. Are the polls even slightly accurate? Has polling become too hard? Are there too many people allegedly undecided? Anyway, in the taxpayers' poll, Manji, who was a close second in his own poll, is a distant third in the taxpayers' poll, behind even the Labour candidate. So if you take out the undecideds, he's an even worse distant third. So in other words, whose poll do you believe? The margin of so-called error is out the door, out the window, and it's a picture of two completely separate races. As I said, I don't think Top have a chance, either in Ireland or at 5%. But what they wanted from their poll yesterday, in the sense they were genuine contenders, is that, and that's the danger of polls. Who do you believe? How much do they affect the narrative? And are they actually accurate or just a vehicle for spin? Look, I think if uh, Brexit and Trump and you name it, uh, to what I said, anything. Polling is now firmly in the realm of weather forecasting. It's completely meaningless, and you should ignore it whenever anybody brings it up. The rewrap. And I'm starting to wonder uh, if we should be ignoring one news now as well, uh, given uh, the revelations uh, from Mike yesterday that they, they, they seem to be being paid for content. Um, and uh, the, the, of course, obviously, it just then provokes suspicion uh, with their reprioritizing of certain stories. Suggestion from Richard Preble actually in the Herald this morning, I'll come back to that later, that uh, Seymour needs to get a flak jacket on because they're coming after him big time. And Television One was part of that yesterday. They decided that their second most important story of the day ahead of YTT's suspension from Parliament, and YTT's suspension from Parliament had about 10 or 15 seconds worth of a voiceover and that was it. And yet they spent several minutes with David Seymour on a bloke called Mark Cameron, who's an MP currently in the House, and whether or not five years ago he tweeted out about climate change being a hoax. And they went on and on and on about it. He does not believe many of the things he used to regularly tweet about shortly before entering Parliament, apparently. He doesn't believe it, and trying to drag that up, says David Seymour, is really just B-grade journalism, which it is. Uh, Cameron himself is not a climate denier. He now says, I made stupid remarks as an individual that I didn't believe to be true. Cameron has previously apologised for tweets where he described Dame Jacinda Ardern as being a light I- IQ lightweight. I wouldn't have thought that's anything you need to apologise for at all. Here's my simple point. Who decides at Television New Zealand, uh, this is the same company at the moment, the state-run broadcaster, who was accepting money from the government to produce programmes on climate change, place stories on their website on climate change, do interviews on Breakfast and Seven Sharp on climate change because they got money given to them by a government department. Second story on the news is all of a sudden uh, we're talking about climate change and whether people are deniers or not. Now, I'm not a climate change, uh, change denier, but guess what? There are some about the place and they're entitled to be climate change deniers. That's what you get in a democracy. And chasing people 
over tweets that are five plus years old that they disown anyway is not news. It's an agenda. Why does the state-funded newsroom have an agenda like that in an election campaign and why aren't they being called out on it? I mean, I think we're all agreed uh, the climate is a story, but is it as important a story as an MP getting suspended? I don't know. The rewrap. Right, tourism check. Is everybody back? Are you back, tourists? Are you? If not, why not? One of the things we've raised on this program on an ongoing and regular basis is we are not bouncing back the way we thought we would or hoped. We're about 60%. China is a problem, and that's not our fault. But, or is it actually? Because what I read about the Chinese, they are travelling. We're just saying, oh, the Chinese aren't travelling. They actually are. They're travelling domestically, and they're travelling into certain parts of Asia. They're just not travelling here. Anyway, upshot is we're at about 60%. So what's gone wrong? Why aren't things better? And the reason I ask this is because Fiji Air, I'm reading a fascinating piece about Fiji Air, they're buying planes like there's no tomorrow for a small country and a small airline. Uh, But they've reopened to visitors December 1, 2021. They anticipated a very slow ramp up to 2019 levels that would take at least 18 months. But within six months, they've gone pre-COVID. Six months. They're back to what they were doing and then some. How come? How come they can do it? Look at Europe over this, their summer, the last couple of months. How come they're over-touristed? How come they're complaining about so many tourists and yet we cannot say the same thing? Carriers bookings, this is EFEG, their bookings for ju- to July next year, 35% ahead of COVID. Australia and New Zealand both up 47%. The USA is ahead by 22%. How come? I've got a sneaking suspicion it's about duty-free. I couldn't believe the last time I went to Fiji that their duty-free selection was so much better than ours. You can just spruce that up. I think we're in. The rewrap. But by that same token, the airport experience, is that what's holding us back? Uh, is that why uh, some airports are going okay in the rankings and some aren't? Quick word on the airports if you haven't heard the word all morning. I, I don't know that I want to give this a lot of weight, but there's a home rental company called Casago who've used customer reviews from airline equality.com which is a site run by Skytrax Skytrax is a major player globally they've looked at all the airports around the world and they've worked out who's best at queues now for New Zealand Christchurch and Wellington score well but my immediate suspicion is that of course they score well because they don't have any planes coming in and out of them so it's not you know obviously the queuing would be worse in a busier airport Wellington's barely international so of course the queues are minimal wouldn't you have thought that the best airport and this is what I keep saying to um, Carrie who runs Auckland Airport which unsurprisingly isn't in the list of good queuing airports anywhere. Singapore is the world's best airport for queuing times. Singapore is massive. Singapore is a hub. It's the centre of the world, and yet 74.5% of reviewers give them a four or five star rating. Why? Carrie, why? Because they actually do their job properly. They hire people, they've got the dogs on, and they're interested in the customers. And that's why they're the number one in the world. Cambodia's... um, uh, Siem Reap Airport is second. Canberra, once again, Canberra. How many planes come in and out of Canberra, for goodness sake, apart from the ones with politicians on, is the best in Australasia. So Wellington comes in at number seven and Christchurch comes in at number 10 and Auckland comes in at 1,657th. I made that last part up. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where Auckland comes in. Uh, probably a similar position to where this podcast comes in in the podcast rankings. So, you know, it's ranked, but perhaps not in the top 100. I'm Glenn Z. Perhaps not in the top 100. I'm Glenn. Um, To be fair, I I wasn't here for eight weeks and the podcast didn't happen, so 
it fell off the charts. Then we got into the into the mid twenties at one stage. Come on, guys, tell your friends. Uh, listen to the rewrap. Listen to News Talk ZB. Uh, protect my job. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. The rewrap. The rewrap. For more from News Talk ZB, listen live, on air, or online, and keep our shows with you wherever you go with our podcasts on iHeartRadio.